Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us. This is Controlling Commodity Costs, and we are your hosts, Craig Turner and Tom Dazel. We are your authority to gain control of your commodity exposure, stay ahead of the competition, and maximize your profit margins. This podcast is brought to you by StoneX Group, a Fortune 100 company with a 100-year history in the commodity markets. You can find us on the NASDAQ. Hello and welcome back to Controlling Commodity Costs. I'm your host, Craig Turner, and I'm joined here as always with Tom Dostal. Tom, how's it going? Hey, Craig, it's going well. Been a busy couple of weeks here, but we are doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. We're in a weather market here on the grain and oil seed markets. It's certainly a hot topic. And uh, we also just uh, had our crop conditions uh, come out. You know, since we all talked last month, I want to say what corn has rallied over 50 cents and beans over a dollar. Wheat's had a pretty strong showing too. And Tom, it all really comes down to, it's been a hot and dry, no, it's basically been a dry April and May and June, we haven't gotten much rain either. Wouldn't you say so? One of the driest on records, May and and June, and I think we have over 50% of the U.S. Corn Belt in some stage of a drought. And just looking here over this past weekend, you know, you saw a little bit of rain come in for Iowa, uh, some rain for Missouri, southern Minnesota, but Illinois, again, short change. So it's going to be a concern when you have Illinois as the number two corn producer and the number one soybean producer. Uh, when, when we're in such stage of, of drought and especially of subsoil moisture deficit, I'd seen over the last three or four weeks, I think we went from about uh, 10 to 20% subsoil moisture deficit to now 70% or more in some locations um, deficit uh, for Illinois, very similar in Indiana, Iowa to some somewhat of a lesser degree. They had a little, it's been a little bit slower to advance. The cooler temps have probably made this a little different from when you look back at like 2012 when we were so hot uh so early but nonetheless i mean a number of the farmers we talked to out there are very concerned about the prospects for yields going forward and i think that's reflected in this crop report that uh that just came out from usda on the crop progress do you want to talk a little bit about that yeah sure you know originally we were at december corn at one point who's a buyer of corn out there I mean, I want to say back in February, March, we were around six bucks in new crop, fell all the way down to 490, and here we are back at six dollars. And what everyone just really needs to realize is we started off thinking we have 92 million acres, and with a trend line yield, we'd have more than enough, enough corn. And corn was on track to going from a tight market to not just an adequately supplied market, but even a burdensome market where the funds went from net long to net short, because not only did they see the production coming, they also saw that exports would be lower. Like the USDA was overstating demand on exports, ethanol usage, and feed, because we don't have as many animals. Now, so we, you know, we came down basically over a dollar between, let's say, February, March, right until April. In the past six weeks, we've rallied over a dollar in corn and over, how much, I want to say a Almost two dollars. Almost dollars in in soybeans, and wheat's been a follower with uh, with the corn market, and you know so when we take a look at this report here that me and Tom are are talking about, 
the hot and dry conditions, basically the dry dryness of April and May, and then the hot and the heat and the dry conditions of June has caused good to excellent ratings come down. And good to excellent ratings can be used to get a handle on or where you know some thoughts on yields, right? Uh, where we'll be. So I, I want say, yeah. yeah oh, I'm sorry to interrupt, Craig. I would I would add in all those projections early in the spring seem far fetched now, right? And it's the importance of the growing season and the uncertainty that mother nature brings anytime you're dealing with commodities that depend on weather uh, as a good reason for when you see that big sell-off uh, maybe a decent idea to to extend that coverage uh, through the summer summer months and and protect against rallies like this that we're seeing if if you just don't get the cooperative yeah. weather yeah absolutely so corn good to excellent ratings fell to I believe it was 55 percent good to excellent down from 60 or 61 so we had about a five or six percent drop that was bigger than what the market was looking for. And I wanna say it was very similar to soybeans also. We went from uh, 60 or 59 to about 54% uh, get to excellent. With Illinois taking a big hit, same with, uh, I'll, I'll bring up the, the crop right now, state by state. But if we take a look at, it was Wisconsin, went from 66% good to excellent to, to 50, so a drop of 16. Illinois went from 48 to only 36% good to excellent in the corn ratings. Iowa went from 70, which was looking like a fantastic crop to 59. And it's not to say these things can't reverse or get better, but it's not a good start. And we are in June and we're going to be pollinating in a couple, you know, what, three weeks around the 4th of July. And that's a huge deal if it's oh. going to be dry with these kind of conditions. I think the crops are so small, Craig, that pollination dates are probably pushed back even to mm. mid to later July. Um, but no doubt, I think further south, yes, around that 4th of July time, but probably a little later into, into July. So definitely raises the importance of those rains in the 11 to 15 day time frame from where we're talking today. So we're talking right around that 4th of July time frame. We're really going to be needing, I mean, the rain for need is, the need for rain is immediate, it, it, but maybe still could be beneficial even in July if we can get it in some of these areas. Yeah, and then when, one other side of the debate that's pretty interesting is, you know, where's demand? Now, we are in a weather market. The market's going to trade the weather for sure. Uh, but, you know, we also want to think, you know, when we talk about where the market, you may hear things like, where's the market think the yield's at? Or what yield are we trading at? And we start off at a 181.5, which is trend line. And I've seen some people say, you know, we're definitely at a 177 now, or the market's looking at 175. But what does that really mean? What it really means is, you know, at, at the end of the day, we're going to only produce, we're going to produce less and the use is what the use. And then you try to figure out what ending stocks are and how tight we are. We're going to have a tight market, an adequate market, an, a, you know, oversupplied market. And there's two camps out there. The bulls are going to say demand's going to be the same as last year, a little bit better. And if that's the case, then $6 corn is justified at a 175 yield or lower, which looks like where we're going if these good to excellent ratings hold up or it gets worse. And then the bears out there who were a lot of the funds that got heavily short, you know, in that dollar, you know, when we went down a dollar from, you know, March to May in corn, a lot of the funds, it wasn't the production that they were really arguing. It was the demand, the lower demand for ethanol exports would be about two, 200 million lower feed and residual would be about 300 lower year, you know, than what the USDA is publishing because we didn't have the animals. And if that's the case, we could have a 173 yield and still have adequate stocks. But the moral of the story here is with corn, and it's a little bit different for soybeans, but for corn, there is some room for error where you can lose four or five bushels off the national average 
and you're not you know, you're not exactly a pipeline minimum minimums. So you're 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 tighter for sure, and maybe corn does deserve to be at five bucks, but you know it wouldn't it doesn't necessarily mean he should be at seven dollars a new crop, right? With only losing mm-hmm. you know four or five bushels. So I think that so it's interesting. We've got this, and then what do we do, right? Because now over the next, as Tom was saying, you know, you, pollination probably is pu- pushed back now because the the crops are smaller. It's going to take longer, you know, to get to the pollination stage. And if we go down sub 170 on the corn and we lose, you know, we lose 10 to 15 bushels an acre on the uh, on the national corn yield, then you know, maybe we do have seven dollar corn. But if we do get timely rains here in June and July and the forecast can change and get and get wetter and maybe we're closer to that 177 or 178 you know then all of a sudden corn is sub five again so a lot these next couple of weeks here the I would say the next four or five weeks in corn is just absolutely critical and not just for now I mean the supply gets made now and then you got to demand ration it for the rest of the year demand can change as we go throughout the marketing year but supply uh, you know, you only get one chance a year in the Northern hemisphere, right? So to, it's going to, yeah. To your point on the demand side too, I think uh, maybe part of the, the thought creeping into the trade is you've got pretty weak cash offers still in Brazil where they had monster soybean and corn crops. So as we're rallying on the Chicago board, we do have still low offers in South America uh, and, and those competitors are going to continue to to eat into that export business, the harder we rally in the short term. Yeah. Um, the other thing I look at on a seasonal chart, just like you mentioned, with regard to weather, when once once the market gets some kind of uh, uh, confirmation that there is going to be crop saving rains, I mean, we've seen waterfall price action the, uh, in similar crop years. I'm thinking in like, two, well, last year, right around June 20th, we started this seasonal decline. Mm-hmm. 2008 was very similar. Um, I think the one anomaly year, of course, was 2012 when it just never rained. Uh, and we continued higher toward $8 in corn, but um, very, very critical for weather. And um, I just wanted to add in that point on uh, South American demand as well. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, you know, just from like a, a way we go about managing risk here, like when we got below five bucks, we definitely took a look more at new crop and maybe trying to do hedging on the buy side. And we never got down to 450, but if we did, that'd be low enough on the decile um, you know, just where we've been in the past four years in terms of, uh, you know, we, we I, mean, I want to say we've been below 450, maybe 20, 25% of the time in the past four years. That would have been a trigger to start looking at buying farther out in the curve and securing more coverage. But here we are at six, $6 again, and we're, we're facing a weather market. And I kind of feel like we're, we're a little bit back where we started. It's a uh, hand to mouth. And, you know, if you're a buying, if you're buying corn, you're almost looking a little bit at, at the call option plays just in case this thing gets out of hand, right? Like you don't want to be left behind and have your budgets blown out because we end up having a drought over the next five weeks. And then you got the other big wild card, which is the June 30th acreage and quarterly stocks report. So we had the March 30th report, which was prospective plantings. Now we have the June 30th actual report on planted acres. There were a lot of issues in North Dakota in particular this year, where that'll probably, if there's going to be any surprises in this report, it might come on the um, uh, prevent plant option that farmers took in North Dakota. If that takes Mm. acres off of the uh, balance sheet, that can 
that can have a similar effect to to re reduced yields, right? Uh, in terms of supply just not being there. So that June thirtieth, circle that one on the calendar. Yeah, and that has the potential to have, be a bullish surprise, most likely, right? You're not gonna you're not gonna manufacture more acres to plant on. It's it's more likely uh, you see them be lower there. I just and that's because that. they got to their insurance dates. Um, for yeah. those listeners who may not be aware, you know, farmers have a certain date where their insurance they start to lose insurance coverage if they plant past a certain date. I believe that date in North Dakota was right around Memorial Day or May twenty fifth time yeah. frame. So. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, uncertainty ahead, and again, the need to kind of control your commodity costs through weather uncertainty, through some of those those unknown government reports uh, that'll have a direct effect on potential supply. I think is is just a key point we're trying to make. Yeah. So um, and do you want to? Oh, go ahead. Oh well, yeah, well, I was corn. I was you know we probably should talk also about soybeans and how that affects vegetable oil, and then a little bit on wheat too. You know, on the on the soybean side, you know, we were talking a little bit about corn. And how there's a little bit more room for error you can lose four, five, six, uh, you know, bushels and still not be tight. But with soybeans, we're starting off the year tight. We're starting off at an eight percent stock to usage. Anything under ten percent stock to usage is 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 tight. And days of supply, you want to see at least like a month and a half of days of supply on your balance sheets. We're at twenty eight, so that means elevated soybean prices, and that's with a 52 yield and 87.5 million acres and uh, a reasonable demand estimate. And don't forget, we are increasing the crush in this country so we can have more renewable biodiesel you know, with soybean oil. If you start making the yield just one bushel lower, 51, we go to a 250 carryout, 6% stock to usage, 21 days to supply. If we should just only lose two bushels on the soybeans, all of a sudden we're pipeline minimums. Beans in the teens across the board with renewable biofuel mandates and crush capacity increasing. So soybeans has less of a room for error. And when you talk to producers out there, they always say corn's a big issue right now because you know this kind of weather can really damage corn, but soybeans have time. Like you can get rains in July and August and really save a soybean crop, but soybeans and corn have been going up together pretty much at the same percentage rate. And it's really been because soybeans have, even though the they're not as hurt yet, but there's time for them to be saved. We're just tighter, right? We're just, there's more room for error in corn. And with the soybeans, you still got a little bit, you still got a little bit more time where the weather can save it. So it's been an interesting dynamic. And if you are a user of soybean oil, we have had a big break over where the highs were, right? I mean, I remember, 80 cents per pound on soybean oil. And now we've come into the into the high 50s. My, my concern is to go back into the 60s or 70s at some point, right? And especially if we have a, especially if we have a tight soybean crop year over year again. The big, yeah, absolutely. The, the big thing that jumped out to me in the soy market the last few weeks is the United States EPA changing their proposal or, or talk that they're gonna be changing their rule on the issuance of ERIN credits for electric uh, vehicle manufacturers and basically pulling that. Um, it would have flooded the market with a lot of ERINs. Uh, by pulling that back, it's gonna put more demand on renewable diesel and that's bullish for soybean oil. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a win for the biodiesel industry politically in Washington. I noticed in the NOPA, the National Oilseed Processors Association, their, their crush report 
each month they issue that report, it showed that stocks tightened despite larger production last month, which I think mm -hmm. is huge to notice. And it production fell 85 million pounds short of consumption. So that's a huge deal. And I think a sign that we're maybe starting to finally see that movement, like you said, with regard to, um, you know, the, the renewable fuel uh, demand showing up in the, in the supply. Sure. Uh, and then the last thing I'll say is total soy oil disappearance in May was 2.2 billion pounds, which is a record for the month. So um, uh, some bullish things. And if soybeans are going to get led higher, I think that soybean oil might be, it might be those products that, that, that help to lead it. Um, yeah well. so I agree yeah there's definitely something going on in the oil for all those reasons that you mentioned Tom there's there is definitely starting to be it's you know we've this rally has been supply side rally but if we're looking for any kind of signs of life on the demand side and that disappearance like you were just talking about uh, and the crush it's uh, it's soybean oil and we've been saying that for a while soybean oil has the best organic demand story going on while some of these other markets that have been going up are purely a supply side 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 rally and there's you know and the difference there is those are eventually correctable with the next crop but you know a long a long running bull market is different that's based cool. on demand just to kind of wrap it up here too to get into the wheat market so wheat we've got winter wheat being you know in, in harvest right now we've got spring wheat we'll hear more about spring wheat uh the acres will be interesting to see what's going on there when the WASD put out their new crop estimates in may when they start off doing with wheat, it's just the all wheat, the all wheat numbers. They don't give you the breakdown by classification until July. So May WASDI is all wheat, June WASDI is all wheat, July WASDI, you get everything in the breakdown. What was interesting about the the May wheat is the stocks, the ending stocks and total production were actually lower than what people were thinking. And we all know how, you know, how poor the, you know, the Kansas City crop is and how big we think the south the, the soft red winter crop is and then there's a lot of unknowns about that spring wheat what it does seem like and we're going to find this out in the July WASDI is that it looks like we could have a shortage of high protein wheat again this year for the lower protein wheat that you know, that soft red winter wheat that may be in abundance and you can tell it in the the price spread but what I am interested to see here is how tight is this high protein wheat market going to be for another year? We'll find out in July, but I think the concern is the stocks were lower than we thought there would be in May and June. And I think there's reason to believe that maybe that Kansas City wheat crop is worse than we're thinking or that the industry thinks right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Overall, wheat seems to be a follower, I think, of the corn and soybeans. It doesn't really have a, a reason to break out of its range that it's been trading in the last six months. Overall, Kansas City finds demand down around 750, and it has a really hard time rallying beyond nine. So yeah. um, until something else changes. There are some weather, you know, there's going to be some weather stories on that spring wheat too, Craig. Probably we're following Canada's weather. We're following... Uh, obviously the weather in North Dakota, but uh, Russia's area of spring wheat too has been pretty dry. I think they've, um, you know, they're, they're in need of rains and maybe they're starting to see some in the forecast now. So that might be just some weather stories to follow on the spring wheat side. But like you yeah. said, with harvest beginning in Kansas City, I don't know if, if wheats can muster much more than being a follower at the I moment of, uh, of what we're seeing in corn and soybeans. I think you're right on that because when wheat did get, when Kansas City and Minneapolis wheat, the higher protein wheats, 
were at 850. That's when we saw the European wheat come from Germany coming into the United States. And when you do see grain or oil seeds coming in from whether it be wheat from Europe or corn and soybeans from South America, that really, that usually is the rally killer. Like you may be tight and we stay elevated, but it's hard to get past those prices once it pencils to import from a foreign country. So I don't know, maybe you're right. You know, the, the wheat, the high protein wheat market is a low seven to maybe a mid eight market until we can get more supply in the market. And I would think, I would think Chicago wheat is 100%, uh, no, not 100%, but a very, primarily a follower of corn, right? Because it is a feed substitute also. All right. Well, should we wrap it up with a quick, uh, quick note on macro markets and the energies? Anything we want to talk about there? Fed set to take a pause. Uh, dollar weakened up a little bit. Um, how do you see that playing out? I think the, my only big note is the Federal Reserve decided to make a pause on interest rates, and they did it when the real interest rate finally got positive and real interest rates is the fed funds rate minus the rate of inflation the rate of inflation most of us use is the core cpi which is about 4.9 percent and the fed funds rate is now about 2.25 percent so this is the first time because we've raised interest or the fed has raised interest rates 10 times in a row going back to the going back to almost 15 months ago i want to say and this is the first time in that period where the real interest rate, Fed funds minus inflation, is actually positive. It looked like all along the Fed was going to do that. They were going to raise by a quarter or 50 cents or 75 cents until they got to the spot. Now that they're here, they can pause. I think they're going to see what effect it has on inflation, on what effect it has on the economy and on employment. Um, when you take a look at inflation, it's still the services side, the labor side, that's stubbornly high. Uh, for commodities and goods, inflation now is running between 2 and 3%, which is pretty close to the target point. So I think the Fed is going to continue to probably raise interest rates. That's what they're saying. There's no reason to believe that they wouldn't do that. Be a little bit of a headwind for commodities, but in a, in a weather market, I don't, think we, I don't think the market cares too much about the dollar as we're sorting out what production is yeah. going to be. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And maybe on the back end, but the demand side and exports are, like you say, probably secondary. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you there. That labor market is is running hot and it, you think it would catch up eventually. So uh, potentially higher rates. Uh, market doesn't seem to believe Chairman Powell quite yet. So he's going to have <laughs> he's going to have his work cut out for him to uh, try to beat that idea maybe yeah. into the marketplace going forward. But um, and then in energies, we've got, uh, you know, natural gas seems like it's been following a little bit of the temperature maps. It seems like over the uh, southern part of the United States, it seems to rally when the when, when the heat wave is in the forecast. It's it pulled back uh, a bit here, though, toward the end of June. Um, other things you're seeing there in natural gas. Yeah, production is production is good. Like the we have plenty of natural gas production and then it becomes a demand story. Weather has been fairly moderate. And I know, you're, you know we we are. When we do have higher temps, it, it does increase, but there's still, you know, there's no shortage of natural gas, um, you know, and we're not seeing as much liquefied natural gas going overseas. We'll see if that changes as prices, which have been rallying in Europe here. Um, we're also seeing um, more more natural gas being used over, you know, instead of coal and power for power generation here by the utilities in the United States. So there's bullish and bearish 
factors in natural gas. There's nothing really right now to point anything either way. And the big wild card is probably going to be Europe, right? We're going to be, you know, how much longer is the that war going to go on? And what is it going to mean for natural gas prices when it gets to be winter again, right? I think I think that's, if you're going to see some fireworks, you know, most likely it's, uh, it's because of Europe again, and that's just going to depend on, you know, what's the, what's going to be the energy situation come, you know, this fall and winter over there. Yeah. Perfect. Well, controlling commodity costs, that includes interest rate costs, that includes energy costs, as well as grains and oil seeds. And so we can speak with any company. We're happy to discuss uh, the, any company's exposure and potential recommendations on navigating their way through this with strategies if needed. Yeah, absolutely. Grains and oil seeds, energy, dairy, interest rates. Hey, don't forget plastics, right? And uh, and and others out there. So, yeah, thanks for uh, for listening today. You know, Tom, always a pleasure to speak with you. If you have any questions for us or want to contact us, all of our information is in the show notes, and we hope to hear from you. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. See you guys next time. The trading of derivatives, such as futures, options, and over-the-counter OTC products or swaps may not be suitable for all investors. Derivatives trading involves substantial risk of loss. You should fully understand those risks prior to trading. Past financial results are not necessarily indicative of future performance. All references to futures and options on futures trading are made solely on behalf of the FCM division of Stonex Financial Inc., a member of the National Futures Association and registered with the U.S. Commodity Futures Trading Commission as a futures commission merchant. All references to and discussion of OTC products or swaps are made solely on behalf of Stonex Markets, LLC, a member of NFA and provisionally registered with the CFTC as a swap dealer. Stonex Markets products are designed only for individuals or firms who qualify under CFTC rules as an eligible contract participant and who have been accepted as customers as Stonex Markets. This material should not be constructed as a solicitation of trading strategies and or services provided by the FCM division of Stonex Financial or Stonex Markets as noted in this presentation and podcast. Neither the FCM division of Stonex Financial Inc. nor Stonex Markets is responsible for any redistribution of this material by third parties or any trading decisions taken by persons not intended to view this material. Information contained herein was obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but is not guaranteed. These materials represent the opinions and viewpoints of the author and do not necessarily reflect the opinions and viewpoints of the FCM division of Stonex Financial or Stonex Markets. Reproduction or use in any format without authorization is forbidden. Copyright 2023, all rights reserved.